Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Get Geek Podcast, where we celebrate geek, nerd, and pop culture. Each week, we deliver the best analysis for fans, by fans, on anything related to movies, TV, video games, comics, anime, and manga. We talk geek. And now, here's the Get Geek Podcast. And live from the Talons 55 Studios, just outside of New York City, New York, this is the GNN Get Geek News 2020 the Last of Us Part 2 Debate. We want to welcome our listeners in the United States and those listening around the world on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and listening on Stitcher Radio, Radio Public, Player.fn, and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Walt moderating tonight's debate, along with GNN's AJ and Eli. Our debaters will be Mr. Jose and Mr. Wolfie. As per Wikipedia, The Last of Us Part Two is a 2020 action-adventure game developed by Naughty Dog and published by Sony Interactive Enter- Entertainment for the PlayStation 4. Set five years after The Last of Us, 2013, players control two characters in a post-apocalyptic United States. Ellie, who sets out for revenge, and Appy, a soldier who becomes involved in a conflict between a a militia and a cult. The game is played from a third-person perspective. Following some delays, partly due to the COVID-19 pandemic, The Last of Us Part Two was released for the PlayStation 4 in June 2020 to critical acclaim. It was appraised for its performance, characters, visual fidelity, and gameplay mechanics. The narrative and represent- representation of a transgender character, however, was polari- has polarized critics and the community. The game was the subject of review bombing on Metacritic. Part 2 became one of the best-selling PlayStation 4 games and the fastest-selling platform exclusive, selling over 4 million units in its release weekend. This will be a debate between our two opponents on the merits of The Last of Us Part 2. Before we begin, a reminder of the ground rules. You'll each receive two minutes to answer questions, one minute for responses and rebuttals, and 30 seconds for clarifications. Please refrain from interrupting your fellow candidates, as that will count against your time. An audible notation will sound, denoting 10 seconds left. And we remind our audience here to be respectful so our participants can hear the questions (laughs) and each other. All right, let's begin. (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Jose. <laughs> Mr. Jose. Yes. You've been a big proponent of the Naughty Dog's first Last of Us game. Yes. In fact, it's been reported by several news outlets that it may be, in fact, one of your favorite games of all time. That is correct. Would that be really? the case? That is that yeah. is correct. Yes. Gentlemen, let's correct. stay on point. All right. We both With have that our time the here. We both have our time here. You'll have your time to respond. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. With thank that you. being the case, yes. we will start our opening statements on the game with you. You have three minutes, sir. Thank you. Okay. So I did not 
in any real way prepare an opening statement other than a rant about the ranting that I would be doing today about The Last of Us Part Two to another friend of mine. And <clears throat> I described it sort of thusly. Uh, and this is what breaks down what's so entertaining about the game overall, not just including story, but including gameplay. So if, if I were to propose to you a game where there is a character who as part of an inciting incident, which I will save until later on, I'll save this kind of spoiler free as part of an inciting incident where they feel wronged, they decide to go and physically attack another character in this post-apocalyptic world where you have Jackson, Wyoming as the base for one group of people and one character in the inciting incident, you have safe Cofield and freaking Seattle which it is, if, if those who have played the game or haven't played the game, is, is the base of operations for the other group. And in Seattle, this somewhat morally gray group, as the group in Jackson, Wyoming is, is in an all-out war with a religious fundamentalist group, and everybody is just literally trying to murder the F out of each other for all of the hours of this game. And it had a little bit of a hint of gameplay from one of my favorite games, which is Gears of War. It had a little bit of a hint of Resident Evil, especially in some of the latter parts of the game, and a little bit of a hint of Splinter Cell and the stealth aspects of it. You kind of stamp all these three things together, again, with a storyline where everybody is literally trying to murder everyone else. And you can choose not to, okay? But the opportunity is essentially there for you to play in this sandbox and to, to very quickly uh, approach the gameplay. what That's one thing that I do love about this game. In, in essence, to me, compared to the first one, um, I'm not going to touch on too many story beats here, like I said, but compared to the first one, in gameplay, this one is a bit more of a sandbox in each level that you play in. And that's what I really love about it. You can decide to not kill any enemies, which is very difficult to do. You can decide to kill a couple of enemies. You can decide to misdirect enemies. You can decide to kill everyone. And there's an interesting and fun and unique way to do all of that. Again, against the backdrop of these insane clans, again, the religious fundamentalist clan, they, they terrifyingly communicate, not through speech in order to find you, not there he is or look out for him over there by that truck. They whistle at each other. That's kind of scary. So as a simple, basic opening statement, without mentioning too much about the first uh, Last of Us and without saying too much about this one and not spoiling it, that's kind of the reason why I love the overall experience of The Last of Us Part Two. All right. All right. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Okay. Uh, Mr. Wolfie, your opening statement, please. All right. Well, I actually did prepare a little something for this, I try to come as prepared as possible, mm-hmm. but not that a lot of prepa- preparation is needed. Um, the fundamental thing about the game before I go into my opening statement is that the game has to be compelling, not just in gameplay, but in its story for you to want to continue playing the game. And that's one of the issues that I have. The first game was about two things. The race to find a cure using uh, Ellie's immunity for humanity's survival and the bond created by that by the experiences of that struggle between Joel and Ellie, and how that bond fundamentally changes Joel with an ending that sets up the conflict for the sequel, 
which is the trust broken between Joel and Ellie and what to, what to do next about the search for a cure using Ellie's remarkable immunity. The second game is about neither of these conflicts, which is why I think it's a terrible entry into the franchise. Despite all the misgivings I have with the game, the plot holes, the torturously long, needless gameplay and story elements that do nothing to further the story they are trying to tell in this sequel, nor does it answer the question set up by the first one, the lack of player agency, all of it, despite those issues that I have with the game, my biggest gripe is that they told the wrong story to begin with and instead gave me a game filled with characters that I could care less about playing care less about and playing a game with a story that meant nothing to me despite their prowess of an amazing landscape and architectural architecture that they created in the game the acting in the game and the gameplay itself okay for me what they gave me was two separate games neither of which fulfilled what i was looking for after playing the first game and they gave me uh in ellie's half the first half of the game a portion of the game that was not as good as the second portion for which they forced me to play a character that I do not care about. And to me, that's what makes it a terrible game for me uh, from a story perspective, because I could care less about playing this game ever again. Remember, a good story can save bad art, but even the most beautiful art cannot save a terrible story. Thank you. All right, thanks. Uh, this first this first question actually goes out to you, Mr. Wolfie. So uh, now that we have your overall feelings on the game, many critics have commented on the level of violence, where some have expressed that it may be overdone. How do you feel about those comments and the overall heavy themes of the story? Uh, I'm sorry, could you repeat that last portion of the question? Okay. I had a heckler uh, in the back that was a... <laughs> <laughs> Audience, please, let's, let's keep it quiet so our participants can talk. Yes, please, let the gentleman answer the question fairly. Everyone should have their fair time in this debate. So I agree with that. The last part of this question is, how do you feel about, those, about uh, the level of violence, the comments surrounding that, and the overall heavy themes of the story itself? Okay, so I personally don't have a problem with the level of violence in the game. You know, uh, when it's a game that's, you know, this depicting a, a dystopian future where humanity is at its wit's end and everyone literally has no reason not to kill, you know, their adversaries and stuff like that. I don't have a problem with the level of violence. What I have a problem with is not having you know, a clear alternative option to the violence, right? Because if I'm embodying the character that I'm being forced to play, I should be able to choose to whether kill them viciously and or put them to sleep or do something else, you know? Um, and the reason I say that is because, like, while, while, yeah, you can stealthily play the game and not kill anyone, that's not how you're necessarily meant to play the game. The game was created and designed to, to give you as many different ways to kill and you're rewarded by killing your opponents or the, the enemies in the game by seeing Ellie or Abby, who you play with as well, kind of not showing any remorse for when they kill. So it'd be one thing if, like, she kills because she has to kill but then has remorse for it, but they don't give you that, okay? You know, if you as a player have remorse for not wanting to kill by, you know, instead 
playing the stealth version of the game, you're not rewarded for playing that character at all because then you still have to kill. The character still has to kill and kills, you know, really for the most part without any remorse and is just uh, uh, punished for it. So my issue is not so much with the violence. My issue is with the lack of options with the violence. All right, uh, Jose, uh, if you ha- if you want to respond to this, you may. Yes, uh, I'll respond briefly. I have a minute. So to me, the, the level of violence in this game was clearly very intentional, and I disagree with the assessment that you, you can't really play the game and it's not designed for you to play the game without killing anyone. Part of the, of the gameplay is very much intentionally building smoke bombs, using sort of weapons of misdirection, the bricks and the bottles and things like that, the, the stealth aspect where you can use listen mode to be able to see through walls and carefully plan out your, your route of escape. You can also run away, which is something I've been doing in one of my more recent playthroughs. I've played this game through two and a half times. And a lot of times what you can do as another option is you can find sneaky ways to sneak to get around the level and run away. But I think that it's very intentional on the part of developers. As a matter of fact, there was an interview where they discussed when they decided to kill Joel, which was very early on in the development of this game, where they did mention that part of the intention of you not killing characters is that that it is, in the context of this game, it is the less rewarding choice. You'll find that they go back to that theme over and over again in this game. It is the less rewarding choice in the moment. But as far as the overall narrative and what the characters choose to do at the end of the game and in other points, there, there is something of a through, of a through narrative where they say like the violence is not the answer. And also I, if you listen carefully to, to Ellie and to other characters, when you're killing even NPC characters early on in the game, they're much more hesitant. They say things like F or like things out of frustration. As you get later in the game, that's when you start to see Ellie become somebody who's a little bit more vicious when she's killing characters, even NPC characters, as well as characters in the story. As there is a moment, even before she kills, again, this is the spoilers, where she kills Nora in the hospital, when she kills the first person that she kills, not out of any kind of self-defense, which is the girl playing the PSP, she has a moment where she is hesitant in her speech, in her body language, and everything else, because she did not choose to kill that girl immediately. She chose to kill her only in self-defense only when she was attacked by the girl playing the PST. She tried to knife her. So that's, yeah, that would be my rebuttal. Do I I get to respond to his rebuttal at all? You do. You have a minute to respond, starting now. So, So the issue with that is that, like, sure that she, you know, curses when she kills someone and she, um... Kills in self-defense because that girl did whatever. But that's only because the developers created that segment. You as a player do not have the choice, right? For example, if your weapon runs out of ammo and you're pointing at an NPC, they will kneel and put their hands up. Yet you have no choice but to let them, uh, uh, to let the, uh, you have no choice other than to kill them, even if you no longer have any ammo. And that's where there's a very apparent issue where you're, you're rewarded for killing and not for showing mercy, right? Because if Ellie's weapon is no longer has any more, she has no more bullets and stuff. The NPC is pleading for mercy on their knees, hands up, please let her go. Please let her go. The only way out of that scenario is not to kill that person. You don't have a choice 
you know, other than to kill that person. Of course, you can, yes, you, you can run away, but you're not rewarded um, for running away in any way. There's no such thing right. as an unlocked cutscene where you. you're now told because you're, uh, you did, you, you let that person right. say it Many. like live, you know what I mean? So, so I think that's false. Do I have thirty um, seconds to respond to that? Isn't that the the format? You you, you do you do, sir. Sorry okay. Now, so you do you can make the choice to run away, and it does change the cutscene actually when you lock over certain doors and things like that. Depending on who you keep alive, it does change that. But again, the the point of this game was never to reward you for multiple narratives. It's a narrative being told from the perspective of the writer and the director, as was the first game. And that's not something that I hear as a gripe of the first game. You can't choose to not kill the doctor in the hospital. You have to do that. And I think that that's a fundamental misunderstanding of how the violence works in this game and how the combat works in this game. Okay. Thank you, Jose. Um, Mr. Wolfie, do you want 30 seconds to respond to that? I mean, I would just say that the difference between this game and the first game is that in the first game, yes, you had to kill the doctor because the developers told you that that's what happened it had to happen but nobody was nobody had any problem with that because they told the story good enough to make you also want to kill the doctor you were you you did not bat an eye to kill that doctor to save ellie because you care for joel and ellie whereas in this game there's nothing for me to care about all right thank you okay mm -hmm. jumping on aj's last question jose mr jose Yes. In terms of the story as well. Mr. Hose. What did you think? Yeah, Mr. Hose. <laughs> what did you think of the character choices in the game? Do you think they were in line with what you think the, the story demanded? I believe that they were, and I think that that was something that was established not only in The Last of Us Part Two, but also in the original game. If you look back at some of the choices that were made, and the most controversial choice that people are are polarized about is the choice that Joel made in order to trust this group, this random group of armed, uh, of armed people that were in one of the lookouts that, that they were essentially all in charge of or under the jurisdiction of Jackson, Wyoming, the, the, the town that he was a part of. But it very early on establishes in the first game about halfway through the type of leader that Maria is. Remember, Joel is not the leader of Jackson, Wyoming. Maria is the leader of Jackson, Wyoming, and she sees things very differently from how Joel sees things. Yes, it's Joel that would more often recognize the threat, but if you watch the scene again, he's asking them a lot of questions because he recognizes the need to analyze the threat that's about to occur in this particular scene. The way that it all goes about also is some people would say that he would not go back with them at that point and join this armed group. But remember, he was saved by one of their characters early on, number one, or just recently before he joined this group. And number two, if you look at what they were running away from in this game, it is the largest horde of infected that you have seen in the first game and in the second game, not only at this point, but in the entire game. There is no point in the entire game where Joel or anyone else, any of the characters that you play as or that you're observing, run away from infected horde this large. They literally had no other choice at this point but to go where they went. As far as other character choices, again, I'll argue that a lot of times when Ellie is killing people in this game, if you go through it and you go through the numbers, you can, you can beat this game by killing about less than 20 people. And that is including cutscenes, including set pieces, 
That includes NPC characters that you kill. The choice that she makes at the end, we'll talk about that, I think, at a little more length as we go about uh, this, this debate. Um, Wolfie, you have two minutes. So I, 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 I do disagree with uh, some of the character choices because the character choices also lend to some plot holes in the game. And one of the main plot holes that happened really, really early on is why is there a need to actually go out there to hunt down, um, you know, infected in the middle of a blizzard when they're part of a town that's completely walled up with no way for the infected to actually get through the walls for which they can monitor infected coming from the walls. There's absolutely no reason to have patrols going out for that when they're when they have the security within the walls. Okay, so that being the plot that was set up in order to set this entire thing in motion makes no sense to me when you have, you know, a town that you do need to protect um, for which you have posts that you can protect from that is completely barricaded with no real visible fear or danger of infected being able to get through the walls. There's no infected that we discovered through the game that can bust through walls and crack down walls and break down doors. So that being principally the, the big, one of the biggest plot holes for me from a character decision of saying that like, well, I got to go out and patrol and kill infected and there's a system that we have in place uh, doesn't make any sense to me. That being said, there's a bunch of character decisions in the game that are made just to further a story that, once again, has nothing to do with the story of revenge or Joel and Ellie's uh, bond or Ellie's immunity and the idea of trying to save humanity through that immunity. So you could cut out the entire almost Abby's almost entire gameplay and just go straight to the end of the to her her portions of the game where she has to now find Ellie and it would it would change nothing in the game. Thank you, Mr. Wolfie. So, um, Jose, you have a minute to respond. Okay, so as far as the decisions that that other characters have made, in terms of some of the decisions that that Joel and Ellie make in this game. Again, they're framed in the way that the first game kind of ends because I think something that's fundamentally misunderstood that I keep hearing that to me is not only what I got from the game, but what was in what was partially the intention of the first Last of Us 2 is you're seeing a story where there's there's good people that do bad things, bad people that do good things and something of both. But what you're really seeing from the first Last of Us game that I think most people don't understand and that frames this second game is you are seeing a villain origin story. And this is not like Star Wars or The Empire Strikes Back where the villain who basically costs the entire world, can't, he can't throw the Emperor down a, a mine shaft or something like that in order to redeem himself for the things that he's done. This is a more realistic world where his choices have far-reaching consequences, and his arc is over at the end of the first game. Okay. There's really nothing for Joel left to do in The Last of Us Part Two other than frame the story. So, time is up. That is absolutely not true. You cannot say that his arc is over when the first game ends with the bond between Ellie and Joel uh, 
you know, clearly at a cliffhanger. Everybody is expecting to try to figure out what happens between Ellie and Joe, the trust that they have. What, like, obviously, she discovers that he lied to her, but we don't find out about that until about 20 hours into the game. So that, to me, doesn't make sense. You can't say that his arc ended in the first game. Otherwise, there's no reason for him to be, to be in the second game. Thank you, Mr. Okay. Um, Jose, you have 30 seconds. Well, the reason to, for him to be in the second game is to be the morally gray martyr for all of the characters. He's there to incite the story. I'm not sure what other story could really be told. If it's the two of them wandering the countryside, that's essentially the first game all over again. And that's what you get through the flashbacks in this story, which are telling the story of what occurred. And to me, it was it was fairly obvious from the discomfort early on between Ellie and Joel that there was already an estrangement that could only come from the decisions that he made at the end of the first game. And that was heavily right in this game. So you just said uh, a story that was able to be told, which is their okay, friction okay, that they had. Okay. And now you're saying that they don't have a story to tell for Joel. We are moving on to the next question. All right. Um, with regards to the first game, Mr. Jose, the length of the game was roughly about 12 to 16 hours. Mm-hmm. The second one nearly doubles that as it clocks in at around 30 hours. Um, what do you think about the length of the game? Do you think that it hit the right mark in your opinion? And did you have any issues with the 30-hour mark of the game? That was one of the, the few gripes that I have with the game. I think the open world section, although ambitious and interesting, that they pull off on day one for Ellie in Seattle, that they don't match with Abby, which kind of, to me, defeats the purpose of having that open world section. That dragged on a little bit long, longer than it should have. I do understand what they were trying to do there. They were trying to establish the relationship between Ellie and Dina at that point, and they were trying to establish some of the world that is that area of Seattle and the conflicts that were going on there between the WLF, the Wolves, the group that Abby is a part of, and the Seraphites or the Scars, the the group that is the more religious fundamentalist kind of crazy group, um, which we see a little bit more of and how that conflict kind of frames everything overall in the end of the game and as the more of the big set pieces. Um, but the length for me was maybe just a couple of hours too long. I do find that in replays, I definitely enjoy the latter parts of the game after that point, and I'm enjoying that point a little bit more. But I think if you cut a little bit of, of time off of that early section, then the game would be just as effective in framing the characters that you meet at that point. Maybe you could have had a little bit less focus on Dina, a little bit more focus on Jesse and what Tommy was doing. But to me, those are fundamentally kind of smaller decisions that don't completely derail the overall time of the game, which is something that, again, I've played two and a half times. Clearly, I'm enjoying the the runtime of it. I don't have an issue necessarily with playing it again. And I'm, again, I'm enjoying the sandbox of trying to beat certain levels in different ways. But there could have been a little bit of fat trimmed off the meat, so to speak, in terms of the overall game length. It would have been, let's say, to give it a number, to be fair, maybe 27 or 28 hours could have been a really effective time overall. And that, again, that's about how long it took for me to beat it. So you could say that trims off maybe an hour or two of an hour, an hour and a half of gameplay or a story. Okay, Gabe, you have your two minutes. 
All right, so I also disagree on that because I felt like there is a ton of the story that doesn't need to be there. And I think that we all both actually can agree that there's parts of the story that actually don't need to be in the game at all, that don't lend to the story of the game itself, that don't lend to character development in any way, real shape or form for Ellie, okay? Because I do believe out of the two characters, Abby has actual character development, whereas Ellie has none. Um, but for that reason is that I don't... I disagree i don't think i think that there's a ton of the game i think that you can completely take away the parts with dina you know even though like i actually liked the open world style of uh, the game because it was fresh it was different from the first game right i have a map i have places to go to i have objectives even though i'm doing it with a character I, that i don't care about with ellie alongside with dina alongside i enjoyed that part of the game as far as gameplay goes because it was a different game from the first one okay and unfortunately we only have that for a small portion of the game and then we go into the rest of the game which is almost a carbon copy style of gameplay to the first game um but i don't need the 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 sections where i have dina i don't need the sections with jesse it would have been better if when ellie went on her own to search for tommy that she actually found tommy and instead it was jesse and then they go back to the theater to start you know, the Seattle Day 3 again. So to me, Seattle Day 1, Seattle Day 2 meant nothing. And then in Abby's section, great. They gave us a character that has character development. So her character development takes place over Seattle Day 1, 2, and 3 through her interactions between uh, Owen and Mel and her needing to save um, leave and um, I forgot the sister's name um, and all that. But None of that, none of Ellie's, uh, none of Abby's story has anything to do with the story of the game in this one or the story of the first one. So to me, that was also useless. Okay. So there's definitely an arc for Ellie that you missed because the arc for her is not even violence and revenge. It is forgiveness. The entire arc of her game of her in this game is forgiving Joel for the decisions he made at the end of the first game, forgiving herself for not forgiving him sooner and forgiving Abby. So I think that that's, a, again, a huge fundamental misunderstanding of what the story was telling over here. Uh, in terms of, of Abby's story, Abby's story is a mirror of The Last of Us Part 1 as well as a mirror of The Last of Us Part 2 and Ellie's story. There's a mirror of how she experienced loss and what she did with it, which is something that Ellie also experienced loss at the end of the first game, and I think that's something that people don't understand either. She lost her agency. She lost her agency to, to decide, I want to do with this immunity what I choose to do. And I'll agree with you on this point. The Fireflies tried to take away that, that, er, that agency as well. But again, that's also the part of the, that's part of the themes for part one and part two, that they're in a real way are not really heroes and villains of this game. And that's what the story was trying to tell right both of them so yes ellie's ultimate um story is that forgiveness forgiving herself for not uh you know squashing things with joel and forgiving her forgiving abby and stuff like that but guess what none of that was in the first half of the game none of that was even foreshadowed in the first part of the game with dina and jesse along along the way which is why none of those chapters mean anything for me as far as the time of the game goes now the second thing with abby being abby section being a carbon copy of the first one basically i could care less because i already got that first game with better characters i don't care about abby i care about joel Thumbs up. 
All right. You know, so, yeah. On to the next one. Now, thank you for your answer so far, um, both of you. Now let's get into some of the mechanics of the game. Mr. Wolfie, let's talk specifically about just part two. Did you find any issues mm-hmm. with the controls? Um, I had a just one kind of particular uh, problem that I had, like something that was really annoying to me, which is actually the camera. So, um, and, and a few other things that I will kind of address in a moment as well. So early on in the game, you're playing the game, you're playing, you're on horseback. And if you're running with the horse, you can't, you know, run with the horse and then move the camera to the side to like kind of scan and stuff like that without the camera within one second fixating back to the direction of the horse is driving. So every moment that I push the joystick to try to look around, it just goes back to the neutral state. Um, and there were some issues with that as far as the, the, those controls go. I, I don't think that there was a, a, it wasn't too, it wasn't insanely fun to me when it came to the controls. Now, here's the issue that I do have is that while I understand that it has like them, it does have the best accessibility and manipulation of the accessibility that any game has ever created. I think that it's going to be the gold standard for accessibility moving forward because it lacks the, it it lacked any kind of meaningful way of letting you know that you have those options to you, unless you yourself decide to go in there and kind of peruse around and take a look at what options you have to change the accessibility and the controls and all the other stuff. Um, uh, or unless I have a friend that actually tells me that I could do all that stuff, I would not have known at all that I have that many control changes and options. Um, for example, to toggle off the uh, automatic camera neutral you know, movement, to toggle off you know, a bunch of different things, to be able to change it so that the game is a little easier for me. And I think that that was something that was a little bit lacking simply because if they had just told me or given like a notification, like as soon as I start the game or in the first level that, Hey, you know, go into accessibility to make the, make these changes to make the gameplay a little bit more suited to you. So, um, yeah, that's the only issues that I have with the uh, controls. All right. Thank you for your response. Uh, Jose, your two minutes. Me thinks the gentleman doth protest a little too much on the accessibility setting and how much Naughty Dog should tell you, which they also do at the beginning of the game when you first start it up. So I'm not sure what you mean by that. Uh, they at what point did you, they tell me that like, hey, go into accessibility uh, no. to all all of the settings. All right, all, of, all right. All of the settings are there as soon as you start the game. It asks you the difficulty. It asks you what accessibility settings. It asks you about brightness. It asks you about framing the screen. That's all there when you start the game. They don't have to give you every single accessibility detail. I think, again, that's that's a nitpick that's a little bit unfair because no game ever tells you, here's how every single setting in the game works. That's never been something that video games do. And I think you're holding this to a standard that's a bit higher for, for some strange reason to me. Uh, that said, the controls, there aren't really many huge issues that I have with the controls. I think that as with the first one, it's an odd decision to make right trigger or uh, R2, the button to reload. I think that's a little bit strange. It ends up being something you get used to over the the runtime of the game, but I sort of understand why they do it in terms of having other controls mapped to the the button face. I, I don't... I won't disagree on this one, but I don't know if I ever had an issue with the, with the visibility on the horse as I was riding around. It, it To me, it seemed to work just fine. Maybe that wasn't when you were sprinting on the horse, so I can't really comment on that. 
specifically other than to say I never had an issue with the camera angles on that. And I think the camera angles work generally well throughout most of the game. You do have to be very observant, but you can certainly move the camera around to get a good 360-degree sweep of everything that you're trying to look at um, in addition to the to the stealth mode, which is a little weird because it makes you a little bit like Daredevil. But again, that was a mechanic that existed in the first game. And I think the additions like being able to dodge and being able to go prone open up the gameplay a lot more and allow you to become All right. much more skilled. for your responses. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Wolfie, now you're one minute. Well, again, so if you're going to have a section of the game at the beginning of the game that's, like, going to help me customize the game for me, you're going to tell me, okay, like, is this the control button pads that you want? Yes, this is what I want. If this is the brightness level that you want, change it to adjust. Perfect. That's how you want it. Uh, Inverted access and whatnot. Perfect. Awesome. At the end of that, you can go ahead and say, like, by the way, we have... X amount of accessibility or new accessibility controls uh, to further edit the game. If you, they, as far as I remember, it did not. I've played okay. it three times. And they do. All right. Well, so then I'll concede that point, but I didn't see that. I didn't get that. And I didn't really understand that I can do that much with accessibility mm-hmm. until you pointed it out, which made the game a lot more enjoyable halfway through. All right. Now, um, Mr. Jose, you have your minute or 30 seconds. My bad. Apologies. Uh, No, I mean, only the only other point that I'll make, like I said, is that there's a difference between like showing you controls early on and and giving you sort of a tutorial, which is something that every game does early on and like holding your hand with all the options that are available. And I think that that's asking a bit much. Again, the accessibility settings are better in this game, and that's true, but like they don't have to point every single one out to you. Again, I think that's asking far too much of something that no other game does. All right, and Wolfie, 30 seconds, and that'll be the end of this No, I, like I said, I can see the point. If I missed it, then I missed it. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Okay. Now that we have that out of the way, we can uh-huh. talk about the first game too. What were the differences you saw between the first game and the second? Good and bad. Jose, let's start with you. The differences between the first game and the second game. So what's interesting to me about differences between the first and the second game are definitely the gameplay differences. I think the first game, you were definitely you definitely were more locked into a style of gameplay where you were definitely the underdog at all moments in the game. Um, And I think that that's one difference between this one and the second one. I think it gives you more of an option to play more of an open style. The aforementioned simple abilities like being able to jump in this one now, which seems like such a simple oversight, but it adds something to the game. The the ability to to dodge, excuse me, makes the in last of us part two makes the combat a little bit more exciting a little more engaging it's very simple it's not anything on the level of some other uh, arkham knight or the the uh, lord of the rings uh shadow of war games they're a little bit more complicated in their countering and dodging systems but this is not supposed to be that kind of game and you're not supposed to be that level of badass warrior as you are in those games so it's a good balance. Um, being able to go prone and being able to like lay down in the grass is huge. And it's a little weird when you play it on hard because sometimes it takes a little bit longer than the AI should 
for them to notice that you're there. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that's another fundamental difference between the first one and this one, especially if you turn it up to Survivor, which is the, the difficulty that I feel like the game was intended to be played at. The AI is unrelenting. It, they, they flank you in really, really difficult to see ways. They try to sneak around you and flank you. Their aim is impeccable when they finally have a lock on you, which makes sense to me. If somebody's shooting in one direction, they're going to keep shooting in that direction. They're going to pump you full of bullets, so you have to move around a lot more than in the first one. So I think that that's fundamentally the biggest difference. The first one is a little bit more clunky. This one kind of fully realizes some of the gameplay that maybe should have been in the first one, but that's all we got for 2013. Wolfie, your response? My turn? Ah, so... um... So I think, you know, as far as like fundamental gameplay differences, um, sure, the uh, Last of Us 2 gave us a few new little things that we can do. Uh, We get to prone, we get to jump and we get to dodge. Um, But it kind of begs to it begs to ask the question, why on earth wasn't it in the first game? Because it's not like it's something that was, you know, new in games at all you know, prone and dodging and stuff like that, like jumping, that's typical. And now, like, I realize this now, like, you know, well, I realized that after playing the second one, I was like, how come I didn't have it in the first game? And it's like, if, you know, I almost feel like I would rather not have, you know, some of those options because it kind of feels cheap if you're not going to give me more. I feel like if you're going to, you know, really, you know, take this to the next level as far as gameplay goes, give me a lot more. Otherwise, the game really does feel like you're playing the, the, the just a, you know, maybe I almost felt like I was playing a DLC content of the first game as far as gameplay goes, because nothing was really different. I didn't get, you know, new, you know, or options or anything upgraded really as far as the gameplay goes. I still sneak around, come around the back, kill them, uh, reload and shoot the same way. You know, I get to dodge, which, again, it just makes me wonder, like, why the hell wouldn't I, wasn't I able to do it in the first game? So, um, so while that's better, you know, I don't think it's an insanely huge improvement as far as gameplay goes. Other differences, I think the story sucked in the second one and the first one was better. So, <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Wolfie. <laughs> Mr. Jose, you have a minute to respond. So, I mean, I, I have to gripe with, with the logic behind the argument again because how many games make huge upgrades to their gameplay in the sequel? like massive, completely from the ground up, fundamental changes. It didn't happen in, in the Halo games. It doesn't happen in the Call of Duty games. It absolutely it happened in Halo and Call of Duty. Halo adds a few weapons and shields. Like it doesn't add that much to the game fundamentally. You can't say that it does because the okay, jumping is the same, the shooting okay, is the same, uh, equipment, equipment, the grenades are the okay, same. Okay. It's not my, is that, is it my, it's my time, right? Sure, no problem, but don't lie. Don't, I mean, don't, don't lying. lie to the public. Don't Halo, say, Halo don't say the games don't do that. It's not a huge fundamental difference. Gentlemen, gentlemen, It's not a huge fundamental difference. It's definitely not. Halo to Halo 3 is, is there are some small changes, but Halo to Halo 2, you look at some of the changes in the gameplay, and they're, again, they're not huge. They added a couple of things. And that's how games work. They don't fundamentally redesign Halo. They didn't make it a third-person shooter. They didn't, you know, suddenly take away jumping. I mean, they added a couple of new gadgets. So 
every game really works that same way. That doesn't, again, that's not a gripe that makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. Um, and also Joel's Wolfie? almost 50 in the first one, so. Okay. It might not be a <laughs> I mean, okay, sure. They didn't, they didn't, uh, let's say that Halo didn't, you know, add hovering and didn't add uh, new vehicles and didn't add uh, equipment releases and stuff like that. You know, let's say they didn't do Single that. Player. They at least still had some basic gameplay elements that we've seen in all games, like jumping. So, okay, thank God, thank you for thank you for uh, for updating Last of Us Two to twenty ten standards. Okay. Um. I wish I had, <laughs> could I drop my mic? Can I just like drop it and like you know? I do still have thirty seconds, and I'd have to like I, I'd st- I'd have to like kind of reset the mic and everything, right? Okay, so you, have you know what other game doesn't have jumping? Final Fantasy VII remake. You can't you can't use that as the standard. That's a ludicrous right. Standard but Final Fantasy yeah, VII, on, but Final Fantasy doesn't. No, 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 no. Hold on. You want to know why? I'm gonna interrupt because Final Fantasy. Well, this is not a debate anymore. I'm not interrupting. Oh, letting you have your time. You have to let me have my time because if I wanted to, at every point, interrupt you, I could go point for point. Finish. You're, again, you're holding it. Again, the game came out in 2013, and not every game includes a jump button, even modern games. Don't I get a few more seconds, actually, since he interrupted me for about 10, 15? I did give you, I did give you 10 extra seconds. Uh, I don't know. But, I mean, well, I mean, that's, again, that's not a standard. Go ahead. Take an extra five. That's not really a standard you should hold it to. And, again, that's more of a gripe with the first game, not the second game. If anything. Okay. So if you're going to complain about it, complain about the first game and take away points from that one, not, oh, the second yes. game should have been, you know, some, something it's else. Because you of the have well, so, for example, Final Fantasy doesn't have a jump button across all their games, so they stay consistent. So if you're not going to have jumping in the first game, don't have jumping in the second one. That's it. Okay. Um. Guys, I want to thank you for your stamina so far, but I do have to remind you of the ground rules. You know, um, one person at the mic at one time. All right. Um, we are now about halfway through the debate. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a good time to get into some plot specific points. Now, for our audience, um, we have had some mild spoilers at the beginning of this debate. Now we're going to get heavy into those those type of discussions. Um, one of the biggest events that happened in the game that has some of the fans up in arms is the death of Joel very early in the game. Some dislike the decision solely for the fact that Joel is a very popular character. Others, however, have said that the things that led to Joel's death were out of character as he would have been reluctant to help Abby due to his cautious nature. Mr. Wolfie, your thoughts? So... Uh, just to kind of talk a little bit about the whole like Joel's nature and stuff like that, I can I can understand him softening up, you know, kind of losing his edge as as he he aged and stuff like that. I can understand like it's 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 a decision in the moment and stuff like that. The biggest issue that I have again is that I go back to the story. It's the wrong story to tell. Okay, I can if if you create that scene that scenario and Joel gets captured. And then you make the game about a race for Ellie to rescue Joel and to try to save him. And then she ends up getting to that end of the game or whatever. And then, you know, she ends up uh, seeing Joel's death. 
where Joel's entire arc happens at the end of the game, not at the beginning of the game, that I could understand because then it can set up a future game where you then play as Abby and see her her uh, her side of the her side of the story at in another entry into the game and make this game more about Joel and Ellie. Okay. But them taking away Joel so early on and then not giving us enough substance with Joel throughout the game just kind of makes him like a side piece to the game that meant nothing. He had essentially three cutscenes in the entire game after the player played as Joel almost for the entirety of the first game, minus a couple of chapters or I think two hours as Ellie. So you expect me to fall in love with the character of Joel and then not give me enough Joel in the second game. Fine, you don't want me to play as Joel. You want me to play as Ellie and go through everything through her eyes and stuff like that. But give me enough content with Joel. I didn't get enough of that. Okay. And it's all because they wanted to tell me the story of Ellie's revenge and Abby's point of view more than they wanted to tell me about Joel's character and his development. So, okay, um, Jose, your two minute response. Okay, so this is as far as Joel's choice in that moment. Uh, that story point, correct? Yes, sir. That was the question. Okay, so I I think it goes beyond the point to say that it it needed to be a different story, but I'll I'll address that maybe somewhere else. The thing of it is that. As I noted before, the first game was not only the the beginning and end of Joel's arc, yes, with some context added in this game, not much more than that, but he needed to be the catalyst for the entire game. That was the choice that was made because, again, I don't I don't see the story being told as effectively another way. Some, pe- some people have said, oh, what if you play as Abby early on and then you kill Joel somewhere midway throughout the game and then you play the rest of the game as Ellie? trying to get revenge on Joel. Well, no, that's not an effective choice because part of the point of this game and the first one was to subvert, subvert your expectation of the character. So they their point was to make you hate the character of Abby early on and then be a little infuriated when you had to play with her. And I understand that that's going to alienate some fans. I was intrigued by it, and I thought it was interesting because I thought that the game's attempt was mostly successful in making Abby just as sympathetic a character as Ellie was in the first game. And the first game also kind of subverted your expectation also, which, again, I think continues to get missed. You're playing the entire game as somebody doing all these heroic things to save this character, and you are witnessing the birth of a villain when he does what he does in order to save Ellie at the end of the game. They always say that it's those misunderstood intentions that, is, that are the difference between a good character and a, a villainous character. And those are the choices that Joel makes at the end of the game, whereas Ellie makes different choices in this game. You see her making choices that bring her closer to becoming the villain, and her final choice, just like Joel's final choice in The Last of Us, is the one that prevents that from happening. So that's why I think that that choice was effective in this game and overall in terms of how the story was told in the first one and set up in the first one for the second one. Thank you, Mr. Jose. That's fine. Um, that, that, listen, that, that's fine if you want to say that, like, yeah, sure, there's no other way to tell this story, and it wouldn't have worked any other way if you're telling this story. Again, my gripe is that this is the wrong story to tell, okay? Yes, I do think that this is the only way to tell this story because it's the story of Abby, right? But that's not the story that I want nor the one that I think that we needed, 
okay? Because there wasn't enough closure between Joel and Ellie. As much as you say that his arc was done in the first one, it absolutely wasn't because we all had questions about, you know, how long is he going to keep the secret? How is she going to find out? What's going to happen when she does find out? Do they end up patching things up? All those things show me and tell me that there is more to Joel that we didn't get. Okay, now the whole thing about subverting, sure, they subverted, but I think that that's more manipulation because Abby didn't just get revenge, revenge. It was first degree premeditated murder and torture of Joel, whereas Joel in the first game, he didn't necessarily want to kill the doctor. Okay, but he killed the doctor to save Ellie because he had to very two very different choices. There's no way that you can manipulate me and tell me that, like, I need to feel for Abby after that. So. Thank you, Gabe. Um, Jose, you have your minute. The choice at the end of the first game was still a choice that was made, even though it was understandable, as one that was made is one that was made selfishly. And I can give you a point from the crew themselves, which is when I described the end of the first game. Everybody again says that Joel has to be some sort of hero. And most other most other narratives, by the way, that I hear about how what story they should have told included more heroic adventures with Joel and Ellie which completely, again, misses the point of the first game because AJ and Eli, when I was done describing the end of the first game in our podcast about our favorite video game ending of, endings of all time, before I tried to make them understand it a little bit better because I understood the choices that they made to humanize Joel, they were like, yeah, that's not a good guy. I don't like that character. And that's the complexity, again, that is, that is, is missed over and over again. And again, the other stories that were told, the continuing adventures of Joel and Ellie, it's just a lot of dialogue. That's what they took care of in flashbacks in this game. And I respect the choice that they made to change up and make it a different character. Uh, Mr. Wolfie, 30 seconds. Uh, not enough flashbacks, okay? Because the first Joel flashback after he died didn't happen until about 10 hours into the game. Seven. I, actually, six hours six hours or seven hours that's still not enough time to give me a different character instead of joel and um actually the first yeah, they didn't joel understand the endings in the first hour when he shows her the guitar okay, you'll have your opportunity to that's, respond afterwards that is i'm talking about after he dies that's i'm talking about that's after he dies okay we got that flashback before he died i'm talking about after he dies anyway um anyway the See, you just lost my point. All right. Um, Never mind. Yes. Jose, you have your 30 seconds. How can you respond? He didn't, I couldn't respond to him, so what's he going to respond to? <laughs> it was a flashback. It doesn't, it doesn't matter when it was. You said there were no flashbacks. Involved. It's not enough flashbacks, so you can't it's tell also, me that it's they also a flashback at the beginning of, of the game. Gentlemen, the gentlemen. The scene of the game is a flashback when he's having that conversation with Tommy because that's before he tells Ellie. And that's where we already start to see some of Whatever, I lost, I, lost, I lost the point that I was at. I don't even remember the point that you made that I wanted to rebut. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll you know. concede and I'll, I'll give up my time, the rest of my time. That's the only point right. I need. You have me. 10 seconds. You have 10 seconds, Mr. Wolfie. I don't remember what, he, what, what point he made because after, after I got interrupted, I forgot what he said. So I don't okay. know what we'll, I'm going to we'll, rebut to. We'll move on then. We'll move on. Uh, that's unfortunate because right. I know I had a really important point to make. So... Thanks, guys. Let's let's try and keep it on point here. Another plot point to talk about here. Back to you, Mr. Wolfie. Uh, how did you feel about the change in focus from Ellie's character to Abby midway through the game? 
Some players did not like the decision to have a second playable protagonist, especially after they spent a majority of the time with Ellie at the time of the change. So, again, this goes back to the whole idea of this story, right? So I just played the entire game. I know where the, where I, at least I believe that I'm at the ending sequence of the, uh, of the game, and then they take that ending sequence away and put me in Abby's shoes. Remember that they've done everything so far for me to absolutely hate Abby, and they've made a video game that I am not enjoying because, I, again, they're filling it with characters that I could care less about. So the entire time that I'm playing as Ellie, I'm not really enjoying the story because, again, I don't care about Dina. I don't care about Jesse. I'm just kind of going through it so I can, like, finish the game. And then they take away the ending of the game and make me play as Abby. And then they try to manipulate me into sympathizing with her after seeing her commit you know, first degree premeditated torturous murder, right? And okay, you want to try to manipulate me and show me this and make me sympathize with her and stuff like that, but you still then also make me play 10 hours of a game that has nothing to do with the story of the game. You still have a minute left, by the way. That was a mistake. Oh, well, so, you know, for me, as far as that, like, I I don't like the decision. I like the idea of it, you know, but I don't like the decision to make it... 10 hours, 10 to 12 hours of Ellie, and then 10 to 12 hours of Abby, and then the epilogue of the actual game. If you were going to do that in this game, I think that it should have been Seattle Day 1 of Ellie, then Seattle Day 1 of Abby, then Seattle Day 2 of Ellie, Seattle Day 2 of Abby, because then you have a little bit more of a break in the monotony, and it'll make it a little bit more interesting because you get to play two different gameplay game styles because Abby has her own style of gameplay, her own differences that, that, that make the game a little different as far as the the progression of the game is uh, gameplay as well as well um so if they had done that i think i would have accepted it better as opposed to going through what seems like the entire game and then having to go through the entire game again from a different point of view point of view that i don't care about all right uh mr jose your two minutes okay so i thought it was a i thought it was a good decision because i enjoyed abby's gameplay quite a bit and it was different from Ellie's gameplay. So that's something that I thought fundamentally in terms of my enjoyment of the game outside of any other elements made me something, made it something that I really wanted to continue to do and that I really enjoyed. And it kind of speaks to one of the comparisons that I made. This is another reason why I like Abby's gameplay that I mentioned in passing earlier. To me, there's a lot of the gameplay that reminds me of Resident Evil 2 or Resident Evil in general, but also Resident Evil 2 and maybe some of the other Resident Evil games as well because you get these these great sort of infected boss battles. And by the way, the infected are a lot more interesting in this game than you would initially understand because you get some, some better different bloaters like Shamblers. You get faster. Uh, some of the bloater, some of the, excuse me, infected from the first game, like the bloater, are faster and more dangerous in this game and lead to some fun boss battles. Um... And then you have one of my favorite boss battles of the entire game, which was when he when she fights the Seraphite Brute, um, that gigantic Scar who tries to kill her like every other one. But you have the set piece fight where they're they're fighting in the flames of the Seraphite village that is under attack. Um, but I, you know, other games again have been completely praised for this kind of gameplay. Resident Evil Two again being an example where you completely shifted perspectives. And I understand it's not from, let's say, let's put this in quotes because I don't believe this is how the game works. It's not from the villain character to the good character or vice versa. 
and you know, I think that's a fundamental fundamental misunderstanding of what they tried to do with this character. And I don't think they're manipulating you into into sympathizing with her or empathizing with her so much as they're trying to get you to at least understand who the heck she was, which is something that I kind of thought was the case at the beginning of the game, by the way, when they had to show you that first scene in the hospital from the end of the first game. I figured right. that's where the story was going to some extent. Thank you for your comments. Thank you. Uh, um, Mr. Wolfie. I disagree. They absolutely are manipulating you because as soon as you start playing as Abby and all that, you get a bunch of scenes of her being a really good friend. She, You get to play with her dog. You get to play with her dog a couple times in the game, and that's manipulating you into good-feeling moments for a character that killed one of the main characters of the game that you played as, that you bought the game for. Okay, and the reason you bought the game for it, and the reason Naughty Dog knows that you bought the game for Joel, is because they've also fake like lied to you and put Joel in cutscenes that he did not oh. that he wasn't in the game, and he did that. <laughs> they did that just they didn't do that for anything other than to make you believe that that Joel was more in the game than anything else than 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 what he really was. Okay, so you can't say that they're not manipulating you in doing this. Now the other thing is that Abby's gameplay is much better than Ellie's gameplay. And that kind of sucks because I don't, I, I don't, I don't like Abby. I don't care for her. So you're going to make me do play a better game as a character that I don't like. That sucks. Disagree. Uh, time's up. Obviously on all fronts, uh, manipulating trailers, really movies since the dawn of time, they had Hulk in the trailer for Endgame, and he was no, or infinity war. He was nowhere near that movie. That's 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 Hulk wasn't a main character. He wasn't even in it. Though. He's not your lead. He's not your lead male character. He's not your lead male character. Do I get to speak without you interrupting me? I don't think I get. You've to. interrupted me too. Okay, so. you. okay come on, yeah, let's keep man. it civil. Come on, guy. Come on, man. You started interrupting me quite a bit from the beginning. You have to let me speak, okay? And and see now I'm losing my point because. <laughs> We we're talking about Abby. I apologize. Right? Go we're ahead. Abby, right? We're talking about yeah. You say that I'm not that. There's no manipulation going on. Well, I mean, again, I, how is it that you do the same things as Ellie at the beginning of the game? You have a snowball fight. You have you you pet a dog. You do all of the same things with Ellie as you do with Abby. That's not meant to manipulate. That's meant to mirror the two characters. And I don't think that's you know you can you can disagree with the, the way that they made certain choices in this game, but. I think that again, that's that's misunderstanding it from the from the beginning. Not even regarding this, the storyline choices and the plot choices. And Ellie is on the cover of the game. We know we're not going to play as Joel as as a main character as much at the very least. Ellie's on the cover. Okay. Thirty so seconds. I need, I, I need some time to. We need a, a little bit of time on this because here's the thing. Like, yeah, Ellie's on the cover, and we don't know that we're not going to play at all as Joel because we didn't play at all as Joel. But we believe that we might play a little bit as Joel. Okay, um, but it, there's a difference between Ellie having a snowball fight and Abby playing with her dog. Ellie didn't kill the male protagonist of the game. Okay, Abby did, and you're playing the character of Ellie. The Ellie is you. Okay, you're not buying the game to play as Abby. So then when you are are then blindsided to play as Abby and you know the killer of of your the male protagonist, and then they make you do all these fun loving things, you're trying to make me like her. That's it. Okay, Jose. That's manipulation. You have your 30 seconds on this. I mean, I don't know if it's all fun loving, because she definitely kills a couple of people, 
in in very much a, you know a cold-blooded way in her own storyline but again most both characters are mostly killing people out of self-defense there's really only a couple of instances where Ke- ellie kills somebody and and you see her struggle with it when she kills nora that's when you first start seeing her ptsd when she returns to the theater returns to jesse and returns to dina you start seeing her ptsd set in I just think that they're they're trying to frame these characters. I don't see it as manipulation, but that's a, that's a matter of opinion. That's really not something you can change. Okay. Probably one of the biggest gripes fans had surrounded that controversial ending. Jose, why do you think Ellie let Abby live? Well, I think that the reason that they made that choice, which, by the way, for I believe about half of the production time of the last six or seven years, they were going to have Abby um, being killed by Ellie. So that one, I think, I'll concede one point, I think, in terms of what they could have done a little bit differently. Except I'll also say that I did like the choice that, that Ellie made in releasing Abby. I thought that it was in line with her character because there are a lot of points in the flashbacks and even in some of her, her conversations with Dina and other characters where she's an older teenager, where you still sh- see that she's young. She's she's making a lot of decisions. There's even a, a line of dialogue where Joel says, you have to stop letting people rile you up. She's making a lot of decisions based purely on emotion, the emotion of youth. So the other thing that they, they set up through the flashbacks and through different scenes with other characters, conversations we had, she has with Jesse about how they would handle different situations kind of frame her as somebody who's still trying to do, in most cases, the best thing until you bring Joel into the conversation. And Tommy, by the way, who I think is a very interesting character in this game also because he's the one that kind of falls even further than Ellie does. He's always been the the, the good character, the character that's tried to do the right thing, and he's so broken by all of it that he still can't let it go by the end of the game. And he's he can't even do anything for revenge because he's he's damaged and injured from the end of the game. Um, so that's an interesting storyline as well, but I think the character, the, the, the decision that Abby does make makes sense. However, if you look at reactions online, YouTube videos and things like that, you'll see that it's kind of split. Some people who really didn't want Ellie to kill Abby because it wasn't who Ellie was and it because they actually grew to like Abby, maybe a choice at the end of the game. I don't think it should have been like uh, mass effect or something like that, but at the end of the game where you could make that choice would have been interesting. I think would be a good idea. Uh, My turn? Yes. Yes, two minutes. All right. So as far as the Ellie's decision, um, as a a character, yeah, I don't want to see Ellie stoop to that level where she kills, you know, Abby and stuff like that. However, okay, for the story that they told, it doesn't make sense to me that she goes out to kill Abby, knowing that she's going to lose everything, knowing that she's come this far just for this moment, and then she's going to let her go, simply because now we have Abby's story, which is essentially the same story of Joel and Ellie, and she gets to go scot-free. Every, it, like Abby got everything that she wanted. She got her vengeance. She had growth. She now has a... A, a you know a surrogate son that she cares for and stuff like that and she's able to go scot-free whereas ellie who is again the main character of the game that we're playing 
she loses everything because of the decisions that she made. Um, and we're kind of forced to deal with that. Okay. Not giving us the option to, 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 to end Abby's life takes away the player agency that I've spoken of before, because at least if you're going to make me go through all this stuff, at least give me some choice in the ending, you know, so that then if I go back, you know, to the farm and stuff like that, if I decide to like let Abby go, maybe I get an ending where Dina's there and stuff like that. Or if I do kill Abby, then I go back and I lose everything, whatever it is. But to me, it doesn't make sense to give me to completely destroy Ellie as a character and this it, as a hero, not as a character, as a hero, in the sense that she did all the wrong choices in the game at the end. Okay, because she's killed all the way, she's gone, she's followed through, she's she's sacrificed basically her entire life just to get to this point and then give that point up. Whereas when she has shown no remorse for all the killing that you've done in the game. That doesn't make sense to me. Time's up. Okay, so as far as all the killing you've done in the game, again, there's a difficult choice to make between killing everyone and not killing everyone. In fact, in my most recent playthrough on Survivor Plus, I'm still killing people, but I'm trying to kill maybe one or two people per set piece instead of seven, eight, nine, ten people. So it's a choice you can make. Uh, I, like I said, I do kind of concede the point. I think it would have, have solved a lot of issues in terms of divisiveness if you had that choice at the end of the game. But to say that 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 Ellie lost everything for no reason, again, also fundamentally misunderstands everything that's going on in this game, in my opinion, because they're setting up for you all of the things that she has and all of the things that she recognizes that she is going to lose. They're setting that up through storyline. They're setting it up through, through flashbacks. Um, and they set it up in that final moment when she makes the decision to not kill Abby in that every other moment she's been having nightmares and all these other issues. And in that moment, she finally decides to hold on to the better part of Joel which she still loses anyway. One thing I will say is that at the beginning of the game, something that they do note is that Dina wanted to find a farm just outside of Jackson. She might not be that far away. That might be just up the mountain. I don't think that that's the case because she left all of Ellie's belonging in a room, you know, and that was a clear, like, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. So I don't believe that Dina is, you know, in some other farm waiting for Ellie. No, no, no. I mean, that's, that's in my opinion. You know, that's not what I said. I think oh, I, I think she might have that's, returned that's, to Jackson. That's what I understood. You can have your you can have extra time, but I think she might. Maybe yeah, she maybe she returned to Jackson. I have no idea why she would return back to Jackson, but that doesn't mean that 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 doesn't make it a better ending. And the thing is that like the ending was done not to tell a good Ellie story, but to play on the player's emotions right because i'm the one that has to go through the emotions of losing joel i'm the one that has to go through the emotions of going back to an empty home and i'm the one that has to go through the emotions of not being able to connect with joel which again is the character that i fell in love with in the first game i can no longer play the guitar it's literally okay. like hey player you suck all right all right um mm -hmm. we are we are now headed down toward the end of this debate um I think we're going to streamline this a little bit here. Um, we're going to continue with the two minutes initial answer, and we're going to restrict it to the one minute rebuttal afterwards. Um, just we should just do a free for all for the rebuttal. What's up? Oh, you you will have it later. You'll <laughs> I want to ask YouTube. questions too. I want to ask questions. <laughs> that is not how this works. <laughs> all right, so let's get straight into it. Um, what do you guys think was the message of the game as put forth by the de developers? Mr. Jose, your thoughts? Can I wait for this answer? 
Okay, so again, I think that that there's a lot of things that are thematically going on in this game. Just like in the first game, deals with family, it feels with lo- deals with loss, it deals with sacrifice, it deals with the uh, the consequences of our choices. All that stuff comes back in this game. The consequences of your choices, family, loss, all of that returns and then gets piled upon in this game because there isn't this issue necessarily of forgiveness in the first game. There's maybe a a self-forgiveness, but that becomes more of a larger theme in this game about the lengths that you would you would go to to get which, you know, again, vengeance is a part of this game as well, the lengths that you would go to, but also also the lengths that you would go to to break that cycle, not necessarily because you don't want to kill people anymore. Like, again, both characters do that. Both characters live in this world, in this universe, where you it's kill or be killed. You know, everybody that's still alive in The Last of Us world is alive because they're not the best of us. I mean, let's really put it that way. Let's be honest. Most of the people that are still alive are survivors that would do whatever it takes in most cases. But again, the theme of this game is that there are still people that in terms of even though they have that moral gray area and they do good things and bad things, there are characters on both sides of any argument that are trying to do good and bad things in terms of of what they're trying to do. But they're doing them for their own reasons which is, again, a huge theme of the first game. It's not a big departure from the first game, which is why I think it makes sense. You talk about things like The Last Jedi and all that, where people complain about how it's a huge departure thematically. This is actually much closer to the first one than something like The Last Jedi would be. It sticks to the themes. And again, it's about forgiveness overall for yourself, for others, for the situation, for forgiveness as a larger theme and how all the other themes intersect with that. All right. Thank you, Jose. Wow. Um, wow. Mr. Wolfing, you have two minutes. While, while self-forgiveness is a theme in the first one, it's not the overall theme of the first one. The overall theme of the first one was the bond of family and what you'll do for family, not to mention the weighing of the uh the what's good for the humanity versus what's good for you okay those are the two overly major themes of the first one the theme of the second one is literally revenge is bad for both characters revenge is bad revenge does not beget anything good uh violence is bad revenge is bad self-serving violence is not good and that's something that i think everybody kind of knows Okay, so that's fine that you want to make me play through that. But the fact that it's the only, in my opinion, the only uh, theme in the game, that's where I have cause. That's where I feel like it's a departure from the first game because, you know, family bond is nothing here. You know, especially if she uses her revenge to give up the family bond that she has with Dina. Um, And the fact that we don't have that family bond that was already established with Joel, um, you know, all of it is about how, how bad revenge is and, you know, and how bad killing, you know, for your own self-serving uh, gratification is. And, and, and on both sides, Abby and Allie and, uh, and Abby rather. And again, I think that those are just, you know, that's just, the I think, one of the worst ways, ways thematically to follow up, you know, the first game. So I see the this game being about revenge and that it's bad and that's it and that's there's nothing more to it. I don't see anything too much more complex than that. Do I get to respond? Hey, Rebuttal. You know, um, 
what would you be getting revenge for if there were no themes of family in this game? Again, fundamental misunderstanding. Ab- Abby's entire right. Arm- no, whoa, I understand. Whoa, 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 whoa! Let's not do this. You're asking me a question. Well, it's not, it's a rhetorical oh, no. question. It's my time. Come on, come on. The rhetorical. It's a rhetorical. Question. You're asking me rhetorical questions as well. Can I have my time, sir? May I have my time? Abby's entire arc is about the death of her father as a result of the choice that Joel made in terms of family in the first game. To say that there's no theme but revenge and that all the themes are missing from this game that were in the first one, it's about the entire consequence of the first one. And it's about every thematic consequence. So that is, again, fundamentally incorrect. You think it's entirely about vengeance because you hate the game. And you know what? I understand that. That's your opinion. But the themes are still there. You're not seeing those themes. And they are present in, in the background as well as in the main story. And that's what I like about it as well. It's present in the background as well for those who want to take that that game approach and explore it. It is only present in the background. It's not present in part of the story because they barely touch on Joel and Ellie's relationship. You cannot tell me that in a 30-hour game where Joel's, where, where Joel's cutscenes after his death represent about 15 minutes of the game in total gives me enough to be like, yeah, family between Joel and Ellie is 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 a theme in the game it's not it's not it's only about revenge over over and it's not even about revenge over them it's revenge out of out of her guilt she's guilty she feels guilty for not squashing and burying the hatchet with joel before he died that's what the revenge is about has nothing to do about like their relationship because they didn't show us enough of their relationship to make us feel like relationship was a theme in the in the game with abby they certainly did with her dad but let's not forget that her dad wasn't a good guy either Okay, he was willing to kill Ellie without first thinking about like how exactly we would do it without telling Joel and Ellie. He didn't want to tell Joel and Ellie before killing her. So he's not a good dude either. Okay, so and I don't believe that he's the only doctor in the entire world in this dystopian future either. So it's probably hard to find a doctor. (laughs) I mean, that's probably not easy. Right, oh, so let's let's speak about that real quick. Uh, one no, one no, real quick no, thing. No, You're gonna tell me, yeah, it's really hard to find a doctor. I wonder how I wonder how Tommy survived that gunshot to the head. An immunologist, and, gentlemen. Next question. An immunologist, though. All right, Mr. Gabe, how do you feel about the comment by game director Neil Druckmann, who says the game isn't meant to be fun? Saying in an interv- saying in an interview, for us, The Last of Us specifically, Uncharted is a little different in our creative approaches. We don't use the word fun. We say engaging. And it might seem like a minor distinction, but it's an important one for us. How would you respond to that comment? I would absolutely agree that the game is engaging because there's certain things of the game that, that is meant to... Um, make you feel like you're the person doing these acts, right? And yes, the game is not fun. And the fact that they are making sure that the game isn't supposed to be fun, that's one thing. That's great if you want me to have an experience. I tell every single gamer out there that you need to play The Last of Us 2 so that you can experience the game, so that you can realize how they can manipulate your feelings about the game and, and about characters and stuff like that. Go through all the sucky, crappy parts of the game, okay? But I think it's disingenuous 
to not give us a, some sort of warning, whether it be through early on reviews, whether it be through some sort of without spoilers, letting us know like what we're going to feel through the game, as opposed to letting us find out on our own. Because I don't want to go into a game for that to, to play a game that I... I enjoyed so much of the first one that I feel this is going to be an extension for, and I'm going to expect an extension of the, the the experience I had in the first one and then not get that experience, instead getting a completely different experience. If you tell me, like, hey, this game is not going to be fun, but it's an experience that you want to have, then maybe I would go through this game with a different mentality. So the fact that he knows that he did this on purpose is more manipulation of, 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 of the fans of the game. You know, this is another reason why I don't enjoy the game because you're you're playing on my feelings and playing on my ability to enjoy the game. I would never ever play this game again, okay? Simply because I don't want to go through all the suck and I don't want to go through storylines of characters that mean nothing to me, um, you know, just for the sake of the experience, okay? You know, so it's like, hey, this roller coaster is really fun, but. You need to pee your pants and then sit and pee before you get on the roller coaster. I don't want to do that. That's how I feel about what he says. Okay. I peed on a roller coaster and I had to do that. That was my payment to get on the roller coaster. I had to pee myself. Say your response to that. I don't know that I so would actually. That, I don't, I don't know that. What's that? You're, you're oh, two yeah. minutes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that I would consider something like peeing on yourself before you get on a roller coaster as something that would be engaging. So I think that's an odd analogy. Uh, I'm talking about fun. You know, no, I, the, the, and I will the, when, when he made address that. Fun. I will address that. I'm going to address that. That's the question. I understand. Okay. The reason that I enjoy the first Last of Us game, the reason I enjoy most media is not necessarily because it's going to be fun or, or sunny or anything like that. I like engaging. I like dark. So, you know, that is what it is. That's just my opinion. Like, I'm a generally sunny disposition person in, in real life most of the time. So, you know, I like a little darkness in my media, whatever it is. So, again, for me, that's that's what I thought the game was trying to accomplish, which I think was foreshadowed pretty well in the trailers that we saw. You know, I walked, she was singing, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death in one of the trailers and playing it on the guitar. I think we all knew that something bad was going to happen in this game. In fact, a lot of bad things were going to happen. So again, that, that was something that I went into this game understanding. And I think I understood that from what was, what was shown to me in trailers and things like that. I don't see it as manipulation. I really don't. That's what I thought I was going to get. I think the disconnect is more in what people wanted versus what they got. And you know, again, some people wanted more of Ellie as Joel. I didn't need that in order to make this game engaging for me. I liked Jesse. I liked how Tommy's character went through this game. I thought Manny was cool. The dude drank and talked about anime. He like he doesn't name drop it, but he talks about Princess Mononoke about at one point, the anime with the girl riding the wolf. And these are the little details that make me enjoy the characters. And again, some people can have the opinion that they didn't find the characters be very interesting or engaging. But I think also the world building has to enter into it too because this is a game and it's fun to look at the rooms of these characters, look at the places they inhabited and find out even more. That's the, the grinding part of it that I enjoy. Right. So that's fine if you enjoy grinding things out do. for meaningless ob objectives, okay, and meaningless characters because it's not like Jesse had a good story arc. It's not like Manny had a good story arc. It's not like even Tommy has a great story arc. 
Okay, so that's great that like you can find some enjoyment in that. But there's a difference between playing like like it's, I use this analogy a lot too with with movies, right? So like it's a difference between watching a movie for which the main character dies and they go through a, a crappy existence and a crappy ending. I can still enjoy that because I'm viewing it. I'm not owning the character. I'm not the character on the screen. When I'm playing a game and I'm playing as a character, I need to enjoy playing the character, right? Because it's an interactive experience. The thing is, you either you for for you have to enjoy being Abby for you to enjoy Abby sections, in my opinion. And I don't enjoy being Abby, so being forced to play as Abby it can no way be fun. And that has nothing to do with like me getting something that i wasn't expecting it just has to do with me i don't enjoy if abby was a hero in this in this game and i got switched to her later on then maybe i would have enjoyed it but i didn't and that doesn't make it fun jose you have one more minute so there are no heroes or villains in this game you keep saying hero Again, that's that's not the point. There's this this Joel is the hero, Abby is the hero, Ellie is the hero. They're the villain. They do villainous things. This is this isn't Star Wars. It isn't it isn't the Avengers. This is the the world of the Last of Us, where people do stupid things and make stupid decisions based on emotion, and that's reflected in what the characters do. I also, again, don't agree that none of the characters have interesting arcs, and also not all of them are supposed to have big sweeping arcs because they're part of other characters' arcs. And that's how it works, again, in, in any other yeah. medium. I think Tommy has a great arc in this one. I, I don't know where the issue is with that one. I think going from the person that he was, he almost he, he, he goes in the same direction as Ellie, but he actually falls. He's the one who kind of falls to that difficult issue. And then... I need to respond to this. Go, go ahead. I, I, I don't see how you can say that Ellie is not a hero, okay? Because what was she in the first game? A character. Just a character? She didn't she didn't represent the light in yeah, Joel's Dark. She didn't represent being a good, you know, wholesome character in why that changes Joel fundamentally. No. You know, Joel okay, being this like, she doesn't. She she doesn't represent that at all. No. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely question. wrong. No, no. Oh, I, I need I need a little bit more time on this because this is too important. This is we're talking about where this is we're talking about the most important character in the game, and you're saying that she's not a hero. Question. She isn't a hero Thank though. You. She just isn't. Well, you're gonna tell me that we're not that we're gonna let this pass, that we're gonna say that the main character of the game is not the hero of the game. Next question. Yeah, because the main character of the first game ends up being the villain. I will address that. There's, that's not the case. The hero-villain thing is not the point of this game at all. I'm moving on to the next question. Oh, my God. That's insane. But that's how what it is. Some, it's not, but go on. Next question. What are some of the issues you have with the reviews of the game? Do you agree with him? Uh, is this for Wolfie or for myself? Mr. Wolfie. Yes. Two minutes. Um, I, 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 it's okay for people to be to to review the game within their own purview. For example, the way that that uh, Jose is reviewing the game and everything, that's fine. I, I accept your your review and stuff like that. I don't. I think that it's insanely stupid for the community to go out there and review Obama game before, you know, even giving it a chance or even playing it. I can understand people that honestly review the game after playing a few hours right if 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 you tell me hey 
play this game and review it, but I don't feel like playing it after four hours. I've given up on the game because I hate it. I should be allowed to review it because I hate it. However, you should review it justly, not this whole zero out of 10, because there is a lot of wonderful things in this game. I think that, again, gameplay was really good. I think character development, or not character development, character design, rather, uh, world design. Um, there's so many amazing technical feats that they did in this game that I think warrant praise. So I don't, I don't agree with the people that just review bombed just on the one thing that they didn't like. Um, so I think that, and I, I especially hate the fact that there's people that reviewed it simply just because they didn't like the LGBT narrative and having a transgender character. You know what I mean? Cause it's one thing to, you know, um, not buy into that stuff and whatnot, but you can't be prejudiced towards them because of it. You know, just it's okay. Don't play the game then, but don't say that it's a zero because of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. You don't own the game. That's 100% true. That being said, um, you know, I do agree with people that are kind of in my, in my view, that are, that are in my camp. I don't think anyone that's in my camp that's being honest can review the game anything less than a six or a seven. Um, but I, I fundamentally agree with review bombing and, you know, or just disagree it's almost you. like they were trying to cancel the game. So, yeah, I mean, my point, my point is not going to be very different, honestly, because I agree. that. that oh, was, snap. We agree on something. Yeah, I mean, we agree on a couple of things about gameplay and, and things like that. I think I think the point that's most important to make, though, is that. <clears throat> You know, we've had our moments, but we've still had a respectful conversation about the game. You know, we're not going to, like, hate each other and we're not going to, like, say horrible things. about. That's each only because we're not in the same room. But yeah, we'd probably beat each other up if we were in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not going to say these horrible things about each other. We're not going to say these horrible things about the characters. Because yeah. the character is a lesbian or a character is a trans character yeah. or anything like that. But, and, you know, to be fair, there was definitely more review bombing on the negative side within the first few hours but there were still probably like a few thousand review positive review bombs that occurred on the first day. Cause you know, those people didn't play the damn game either, but that also presents another slippery slope of which Metacritic apparently addressed earlier today or yesterday. Like how much of the game should you have to play? Because if you review a movie or you re review a TV show, most of the time the expectation is you watched it. A video game is a little bit different. That's why I say this is a bit of a slippery slope because I kind of agree with with Wolfie's assessment. If you don't like the game after four hours, why the hell should you be forced to play another 24, 26 hours of a game that you fundamentally dislike? Thank you. I can't disagree with that. I can't disagree with that at all. But again, it's also there's also the other side of it. Like, how much do you really know about it if you haven't finished it? So it's hard to say that either way. That's to me. That's that's uh, that's difficult. But, it, like, definitely we also agree on, like, review bombing the game because you saw a few leaks or you misunderstood certain characters or what their attentions are. You say it's SJW nonsense or any of that other stuff. A lot of the leaks were actually not correct. So there's that as well. I mean, play the game or at least try to understand the game. And as Wolfie said, if you're not interested in those narratives, if you're not interested in seeing diverse narratives, then just don't bother to engage it at all. I mean, it is your right, okay. but I would say don't bother for the most part as, you know, not a long um, man, but as a moral imperative, we'll say. Do you guys need the extra minute after this or uh, I shall don't. we proceed? No, I think, I, think, I think we pretty much kind of agree. I mean, I, I would only add that, like, I think that some of this could have been solved if Naughty Dog was a little bit more forthcoming with certain details of the game. 
you know, for example, letting the community know that there will be that there's, you know, an LGBT character or, you know, transgender character that makes an appearance in the game and stuff like that. So that like people that aren't into that can know and then just choose to not play the game. You know, Um, I think that like if they're a little bit more forthcoming and trusting with the community would have been a little bit better. I think that some of this stuff, you know, that that they did like hiding uh, from the public view is works in movies or or works in certain ways like what marvel did it with avengers and certain characters in the uh in the trailers for the movies i think it works for movies or it maybe it only works if you do it a certain way i think that the way naughty dog did it they botched it completely you know so um that's the only thing that i would say on that i think that might have had you know because i think people got sticker shock if if that makes sense to you right like you know, they expect one thing and then they get the complete other, you know, final product and or through the through the leaks and stuff. I, I didn't see any of the leaks or the trailers. Thank God. OK, um, Jose, do you want to add anything else to that or shall we move on? No, I think I, I think we can move on. OK, um, <laughs> as this is going to be our last question of the debate, we're going to simplify it to two minutes per answer per mm-hmm. per candidate. Um, and it's a very simple question. Where does the Last of Us series go from here? Um, I will let Mr. Jose start with that. So I think that there's a very clear setup for a part three, even though they think they tried to compartmentalize this part two. And if it were the last game, then that would be fine, at least with some fans, myself being one of those fans that thinks that it was an effective game and it was a good story. Um, it made a lot of bold choices. It made a lot of maybe amb- overly ambitious choices, we'll say, because some people just really didn't like the direction it went. Um, but I think there's a clear there's a clear narrative for the third game. And a lot of it, I think, is going to have to do with the Fireflies. I think that that's something that they were very almost heavy-handedly setting up for the end of this one because uh, you had a lot of talk about trying to reach the Fireflies through a lot of different characters. And I think that they did they did that to be able to set up a part three if they really wanted to, because I think that that's maybe a better story to end it on where it began with the Fireflies. Um, and you see that set up, obviously, with the fact that that Abby has the radio conversation with the Fireflies that are now all pulled back to their main base. A uh, little detail that some didn't notice was that in the final conflict with Abby Ellie is not wearing that little charm bracelet that Dina gave her. When she returns to the farm, she is wearing that. So I think there's a hint somewhere there, and that's just implied, but that's for part three to answer or not answer. But I think it has to do definitely something with what's going to happen with the with the overall narrative, because the first two games have been very personal. I think for the third one, if they decide to make a third one, then you're going to have to open it up to larger narratives. And you may have some characters returning from the first game and the second game. You may have some of those characters not returning. Um, As far as what the best story for part three would be to tell, I mean, I don't know exactly what the inciting incident would be. I don't know where you can go and how you can re-involve the Fireflies, but the way that it leaves it off is ambiguous enough that I think a part three is, is... more likely than not going to happen. We'll see where it goes. Okay. Uh, Mr. Wolfie, your thoughts? So, um, I, I, 
I think that there is very obviously going to be a third iteration to the game, um, if only for the fact that there is, you know, enough at the end of the game that sets up a third game clearly. Um, and aside from that, it's a huge money maker. So I don't see them not not dumping the money into you know a third iteration. Um, however, I personally wouldn't really want to see. I, I'd be happy with the game ending where it is, simply because. I think that it's not the best story to tell, and I think it's too disjointed to then try to bring back the fireflies and bring back the idea of searching for a cure with the immunity and stuff like that. And I imagine that if they do do a third game, it's going to be something where, you know, Abby and Ellie team up now for a greater humanity cause, which, again, I would absolutely hate if that's the case, you know. Um, simply because they, again, created a story that I just, I just don't care for Abby. You know, I, I, I know that she went through a ton of stuff and, and whatnot, but the way that it was presented, the way that it was done, you know, the way that she, you know, handled her ven- vengeance, I don't care for it. So I wouldn't want to play another game that includes her, which I assume will. Um, uh, so that's where I believe the franchise is going, but I, 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 I don't know if that would mean anything good for the story. If, again, going back to like how I thought the story should have gone, if this game was, you know, Ellie grappling with uh, her relationship with Joel, and then let's say the game ends, maybe even as a cliffhanger, the game ends with Abby killing Joel, then the third game could have been about Ellie seeking revenge on Abby and you play as Abby and stuff. And then they could have like brought back the fireflies in the third game and, and whatnot. So um, that's, that's what I feel about where the franchise is going and the story and so on. Okay. Thank you. Um, I now offer you the opportunity to provide your closing statements. Please try to keep that at around three minutes. Mr. Wolfie, you may begin. Oh, Oh, um, I, I get to go. Okay. So, um, all in all, I think that the game was, from a technical standpoint, again, a really wonderful game. They did a lot of things uh, really, really well from design and stuff like that. Um, the ability to play the guitar with the proper actual notes and all that, I think, was a cool element. A bunch of little, like, the bag, the, her, her book bag moving and stuff like that. Um, was was cool. So I think they did a lot of really amazing technical things. However, they dropped the ball so much, in my view, with the story. You know, we didn't even get a chance to go and address any of the plot holes, which I find uh, a ton of. Okay, I think that there's way too many plot holes for it, it, for it to truly make sense. You know, um, sure, there's some plots that you can just say it's within you know, the realm of possibility. But even if that possibility is just 0.001%, I don't believe it belongs in the picture. And they do it just to further the story. And it's not a story that I think is um, worth telling, really. At least not at this point. I think, again, I think this would have been a a great third entry um, into the franchise. That's why I say I think it's the wrong story to, to, to have told. You know, because there's too many things that were left unanswered, in my opinion. Um, And then too many things done in this game that um, just didn't make sense to me. You know, I don't know how Tommy could have survived a gunshot wound and an arrow to the knee long enough to be able to make it back to Jackson with Ellie and Dina being 
brutally beaten and make it back to Jackson from from Seattle, which is quite a trek, okay, and survive. So to then set up the epilogue of the game, which gives us the actual ending of the game. Um, I have no idea why give us the big bad enemy of the wolf, you know, of the WLF um, in, in Isaac and then completely just, you know, not use him as the big bad. I think he should have been the big bad in the entire game that we would we should have been dealing with and having to fight against and stuff like that. And instead, he was just another character that they killed off meaninglessly. Like he did nothing, you know, um, I think they did too much with the story uh just to give us an experience versus telling us the correct story and that's the issue that i have fundamentally with 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 the game and it's uh as much as i love all the technical aspects of the game there's no way that i can enjoy the story in my opinion because for me when i play a game especially a story driven game i'm embodying the character and i want to enjoy that character's story okay just simply experiencing their story is not um, it's not worth it for me if you're asking me to invest 30 hours of gameplay in a story that you're not going to enjoy. So, all right. Oh, and for are we giving final ratings during our closing? Uh, sure, you can provide that. So, with all that being said, I'd still say that the game is a 6.5 out of 10, solely based on gameplay and technical design. Okay. If you do not care about the story that you're playing, then I think you should absolutely play the game just to experience all the, you know, technicality of the game and stuff. Okay. Um, Jose, you have your three minutes. So as I've noted before, I've played through this game two and a half times and uh, we just got Ghost of Tsushima, which I've been playing through a little bit also. And I still find myself getting dragged back to this damn game. Because I just enjoy like the gameplay so much, and I really enjoy Ghost of Tsushima as well. We're going to talk about that, and it's definitely a great game. But I don't want to hijack this conversation with with comparing it to something else. I still find myself being dragged back to this game each time that I watch the story. I I notice something new and interesting. One of the examples that I give that that tells you how a character would react to another character's decision. And these are things that I think are just not noticed throughout the game. There's a conversation that Jesse has with Ellie when they're on Seattle day two, I believe. And they're, they're, uh, they're basically just, they're, you know, going around together. They're trying to, to recover Tommy, who by the way is a complete badass in this game and has one of my favorite set piece moments where you're trying to chase him down as Abby and, He's this ridiculously awesome sniper. But there's a conversation that Jesse and Ellie are having where they talk about how Jesse's mother would tell him a story about a character that would sacrifice themselves for the village and turn into a giant tree in order to save everyone in their village. You hear Jesse tell Ellie how that used to give him nightmares as when he was a child. It's moments like that. It's details like that that tell you what these characters' motivations are. They tell you that the best way to tell a story is not to, you know, not to necessarily tell, but show. Well, without directly addressing the conversation about what Joel did at the end of the first game, you know what Jesse would feel about it. You know how Jesse would feel about it. You hear conversations with Dina earlier in the game where Ellie is starting to feel reluctant about the violence that she's visiting upon some of the people in the WLF. 
which again is a moment where they do address that, which most people say that they don't. They do address it in the game many times. And Dina tells Ellie that if it were the people who killed Dina's sister tied to a chair, she would have done the same things. And again, by this point, Ellie hasn't killed or tortured any main characters, and you can avoid killing most of the other ones. So I think that that choice is very interesting. Okay, the fact that you it's so hard to get through this game as a stealth character and it's still fun and you still have the option of playing the other side of it where you can get involved in this crazy war between all these crazy factions. You have these crazy set pieces where you're getting chased on horses and you're getting chased by gigantic Resident Evil style zombies called the Rat King. Um, You know, you're trying to clear out a whole hospital. You're on a boat, like trying to make sure that the scars don't see you. You have to clear certain levels of like a waterlogged building. Like the set pieces in this game take me in an engaging way with enough dialogue between characters to fill in the cutscene moments, which is, I think is what everyone is focusing on when it comes to the story. And that's not what so, a lot of people focused on in the first game. It was about those What's moments your, you were playing as the character that What's I think your rating, made sorry. a difference. So, so, I mean, for me, all those little moments, the fact that I'm playing it over and over again, add up to... And I, you know, this could be controversial, but I think it's a 10. I think it's one of my favorite games of PlayStation 4, if not my absolute favorite. And I still have a lot to play through. That is insane. I still have a lot. I didn't, hey, I didn't say anything about your rating. I still have a lot to play through in terms of other games. I love the game. I love the choices that were made. I love the ambition. I love the fact that they took a risk with these characters the same way that I would love it in any other franchise, just like I loved it in The Last Jedi. I like risk taking. I like. Thing, I like that in Game of Thrones when they killed off characters at the beginning of the freaking first season that were the characters that you were supposed to connect to. I like okay. that kind of risk. So to me, yeah. I enjoyed the game. I like it dark. It's I, I think it's a 10 out of 10. And I keep going back to it. So that's that's a pretty good indication that I enjoy it. Okay. Um, thank you, gentlemen. And that concludes today's debate of The Last of Us Part 2. Congratulations, sir. Uh, we want to thank we want to thank decent job, not bad, FM for hosting us. And um, thank you, I guys. You guys did an awesome job. Thank you. Yes, yes. And you did moderate. I just want to let all the listeners know that on Wednesday we will put up an Instagram post where you can vote to see who won this debate. Um, and I invite you to please stay tuned for next week's episode where we'll have special coverage of whatever geeky news comes out with the entire cast of the Get Geek podcast. So um, from everyone here, I'd like to say good night and stay geeky, my friends. How on earth can you give it a 10 out of 10? How on earth can you give it a 10 out of 10? Even the, even, hold on, how can you give it a 10 out of 10? even though you agree that there's sections of the game that should not really be in the game. That's insane to me. No, no perfect movie is perfect, and no perfect TV show is perfect. It's just... I, yeah, but you're also one of the guys that really doesn't like to give 10 out of 10s, and you're going to give a 10 out of 10 to something that has parts of the game that you don't... that you can see that aren't... You can see it at, like, two or three points in the game. I don't understand how that could be a 10 out of 10. It was a little long, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it and that I didn't like it. Hey, I'm not asking you to justify your six and a half. That's your that's your rating. You didn't like it that much. That's fine. I understand that. But a 10 out of 10 is crazy <coughs> after you've already conceded points. 
Oh shit, I forgot to hit the stop. <laughs>